Welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week, I bring you stories that will educate you, inspire you, and give you hope. Today, I want to recognize my studio sponsor, The Motivated Mind Group, your creative agency located here in downtown Chandler. And I also want to give recognition to today's episode sponsor, the Arizona Mobile Notary Signing Agents. Life moves fast. You never know if you might be in a position to buy, sell, refi, adopt, need a power of attorney, living will, or a trust. We travel to jails, hospitals, and short-term care facilities, and to your home. On the move, organized, and prompt. Today, my guest is Jane Montry. She's a retired trauma psychologist, an actor, and an activist. She is the founder of the Advanced Gender Equity in the Arts, also known as AGE. It is a organization that is found in Portland, Oregon, and it's based as a nonprofit that empowers marginalized genders in arts, leading with race. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jane's life work as a trauma healer and artist and a social justice warrior has been fueled by her experience as a child refugee from Indonesia. Jane and her family arrived in the United States in 1960 when she was just seven years old. Please help me welcome my guest today, Jane Montry. Welcome, Jane. Thank you. Yes. We finally connected. I'm so glad. I, I, I learned of you through the film festival industry that I have become a big, very big part of, and the talent behind it is remarkable, and you are in the arts as well. Um, and your story is actually going to be put also in a documentary, and that is fascinating. So I actually wanted to know more about you so that when I get to see you on the big screen, I can say, I know who she is and her story behind it. So I guess what I want to start with is at seven years old, we're supposed to be carefree, enjoying mm -hmm. just being a kid, but that is the last thing that you got to be. Please go ahead and start with where your journey as a young child began. Ooh, it began a long time ago, almost 70 years ago. And to really understand my childhood journey, it's important to first get a tiny little bit of history um, about where I was born. I was born in Jakarta, Indonesia. And um, Indonesia was colonized by the Europeans, primarily the Dutch. And uh, they were there for hundreds of years. And my forefathers were actually part of those colonizers. They arrived in Indonesia in the late 1700s. And then they married Indonesian women. Hmm. And a new culture was formed, which we call Indo. And so it's that blend of European, but very much um, the Asian culture to the women. And um, my parents talked about Indonesia, their life in Indonesia being wonderful. That's the only tropical paradise that they ever knew. And, um, and then when they were actually teenagers, uh, adolescents, World War II broke out. And um, uh, the Indonesian colonies became destabilized, and right after the war, then 
uh, what happened was Indonesia took back its land. And um, it's my belief that that is exactly what should have happened. But my, as Indos admit, we were caught in the middle. And taking um, their land back, okay. Taking their land back because we still had the citizenship and the privileges of, of my European forefathers, but we were very Asian in our culture and we had been there for over 200 years. And, um, and so we were told that we could stay if we gave up the European citizenship. And I think that that would have very much have been an option, except that during the revolution after World War II, um, Um, my aunt, my father's sister, mm -hmm. uh, was on a train on her way home, and the train was stopped by Indonesian militants, and they took the passengers off the train and murdered them. Murdered them? Is that what you just said? Murdered them, yes. My aunt was raped and decapitated. Um, oh, my. And it was... Words cannot express the devastation, but it was devastation upon devastation. It was when this happened, my father had been released after four years during World War II. Mm -hmm. My mother had lost both her parents. My father had lost his brother. He had lost his father. And now this happened to his sister. And so my father said, we have to go. And by this time, uh, it, was, it was around the time of my birth, and my father said, you know, we have to get to safety, and we are going to America. He did not want to go to the Netherlands because he had experienced a lot of racism as an Indo in Indonesia, and he did not want to go to the Netherlands. And so he said, we're going to America, and he went to Jane. And he said, you know, that's where we're going to go. But it was the 1950s, and there was an uh, Asian ban. And uh, the United States wasn't letting refugees from Indonesia or from anywhere in Asia into the country. And so my father tried for years, actually. He tried prior to my birth, and he continued to try. And then when I was about a year and a half old, he, he finally said, you know, we have to get out of this country. And uh, and so the only option was to go to, to the Netherlands. And he said, I'm going to wait there because he thought that maybe getting to Europe would uh, be a stepping stone to getting to the United States. Now and, I have to ask you, yes. <clears throat> you're talking about going to the Netherlands, you know, and leaving your own country. Right. Is this something that you had to flee? to yes. do or wait you did well can you we did we did it was an exodus and what happened is that it it was about a 10-year exodus um and during that time there were uprisings and villages would would just be um uh attacked by uh by indonesian militants and they would murder uh, 
the Europeans and the, anyone who had European ancestry. And, and so there was a lot of unrest and, and it wasn't safe. And, um, and so uh, we, we got on a ship and went to the Netherlands. Um, I don't, I don't recall. I was only, I don't recall that trip. I was only a year and a half old. Mm -hmm. um, but we were one of 300,000 families who, who fled and went to the Netherlands. Netherlands is a teeny tiny country and uh, it's, that is very overcrowded and so I want to interrupt you here for a second yeah. here when I think of the things that you're going through or had gone through at such a young age this was what you said the years of the 60s uh, before this this is the 1960s 50s. The 1950s. 50s 50s wow yeah. you know when I think about the history that I learned in school these were not the things that I recall learning mm -hmm. This was more like histories from 1800s versus 1900s and what you're actually living. And I'm, I'm in my own country living with my own stuff, as all of us do, with the, um, the ability to have media, to be connected to what's going on. I never knew any of that was going on. And yet we, we have our days where we think our days are bad and we're having a tough time going through what we're going through. And here you and your family and other individuals and their families are losing loved ones by, like you said, being murdered um, by the hundreds, um, having to flee a place that you're supposed to call home in your country, and then you have to go somewhere. You're not even sure where you're going to start all over, even know how to start all over, and you're just a kid. I can only imagine right. what your parents had to go through. Right, and it was, it was also, we were used to the tropics, and mm -hmm. Uh, the Netherlands is, is very much like um, the Pacific Northwest, um, with maybe a little bit more, a little bit colder, um, mm -hmm. but it's very, very cold as compared to the tropics. And my parents did not want to be there, and the Dutch people didn't want us there either. And so it wasn't um, a welcoming experience. It was a very difficult experience. We had Dutch citizenship, though, and because we had Dutch citizenship, and, and many of the Indos did, uh, the Dutch government was required to provide us with housing and jobs, mm -hmm. and and so we weren't houseless or homeless. That okay. was the good part. But um, can I ask? Well. Can I ask, when you talked about housing, because I had another guest who was a, a refugee from a, a different place in an earlier year, like in the 90s. I'm getting completely educated on stuff that's outside of my own country, which is why I like to do what I do. Um, you're talking about housing. She spoke about actual camps. Is this the type of housing your family and you had to be in, or did they actually have structures? No, ours, ours, that wasn't what we had. We didn't have, it wasn't camp. We were initially put in a center, and mm -hmm. again, I don't remember that at all, but it was okay. a holding, it was a holding place of some sort. Um, and then shortly thereafter, we were assigned housing. And the housing that we were assigned was similar to the housing that the Dutch people lived in. And, hmm. 
And this housing, you said the government had to provide, is that what I heard correctly? Raise the level of animosity between the Indo people and the Dutch because the Netherlands was overcrowded and there were waiting lists uh, for the Dutch people to get housing. And then you have this huge influx of Indo people coming and we got our turn and um, and that didn't sit well with them. And this was, you, you keep referring to like not accepting to who you are, the Dutch, and then having their differences. Do you feel this was um, a race-driven? Um? Yes. Okay, I, I don't know how to say it because I don't want to say yeah. anything incorrect or yeah. assume, but it sounds um, that there's a, a race, uh, dis, uh, what does it call it? Um, it was racism. Yeah, it, 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 it is. I mean, we yeah. we have our version of what we say is racism here in the, in the States. As you know, you live here, but it's one of those different definitions. And when you are in this race that you're in, um, there's a division. Right. Um, and I told someone not too long ago, if we all were not able to see with our eyes, mm -hmm. we wouldn't have any judgments because there wouldn't be anything we could see to say, you're different than me. And that's what this sounds like, even though that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. So moving forward, mm -hmm. you, you guys came to the United States in the 1960s, well, no? Well, so what happened was, as soon as we arrived in the Netherlands, my father set out to try to get to the United States. And oh. We needed a sponsor to get to the United States. And mm -hmm. so my father actually applied, um, eventually applied to Church World Services. And, okay. and um, he was um, part of, um, of their refugee resettlement program. Mm -hmm. And so we waited six years in the Netherlands before a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin uh, sponsored us as the okay. World Services and then brought us to the United States. So I was seven years old. Just a little one. And now, and I don't know the, the language. Is it English? Is it Dutch? What is it that is spoken over in the Netherlands? Dutch. Okay, so now you have another factor, a different place that you're supposed to try and call home. You're a small child having to figure out how to fit in, go to school, learn our language, learn our culture. Do you remember if that was a difficult thing for you to do and how you were able to fit in and meet, meet people? It was very difficult, very, oh. very difficult, very, very scary. And I am an outgoing um, person, but mm -hmm. at, as you say, at the age of seven, it's, it's a very fragile time. And um, my, my parents were incredibly good people and loving people. Um, they were also well-educated people. Um, but they had layers and layers and layers of trauma. And mm. um, it wasn't, you, you know, as a child, whatever your family is, that is what you consider normal. And it wasn't right. until I became uh, a trauma psychologist and really looked back on, on my family's situation and realized um, how much, uh, how much trauma my my parents had. Both parents mm -hmm. suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, and um, and even though my father never missed a day of work, he suffered from uh, 
horrible nightmares that woke him up and he was even injured uh, at one point because of, of uh, waking up in the middle of the night so disoriented with flashbacks of his of of his lot of the trauma that he had experienced. My mother also had had post-traumatic stress and severe depression. And um, and they had been taught British English growing up. Um, my father, because he had to go to work right away and he had to interface with American people, he uh, picked up on the language a bit better than my mother. He assimilated a little bit better, but um, it, it was very, very, very difficult for, for my mother. And so uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, the way we parent nowadays, uh, the, the parents are right there involved with the teacher and holding your hand, going to school. and. That's not how it was for me, and I didn't speak. In, I didn't speak a word of English. So that was another question I was going to ask you. What was your greatest challenge? See, for me, I think kids are resilient. Uh huh. I really do. But yeah. then now I'm hearing that they're also just as much scared as an adult is. I always tell kids, just because we're in an adult body doesn't mean we don't make mistakes or that we always have the answers. And you had mentioned something too is trauma. I feel that each generation has its own trauma that has happened, but along that trauma that we have in our lives, we're carrying the generations before ours as well. And if we don't understand it, which you know this because you're a trauma um, psychologist, you understand that the behaviors and the way that we treat people is based on where we were at one point or our generations, the generations before ours. Um, and all we can do is the best that we can. So moving forward with that, you had already mentioned your trauma at a young age, and then you've indicated both your parents' trauma and what you also witnessed. Right. What was the most difficult thing for you to experience or try to adapt coming to a country with all of that, that weight of trauma? No, I, I think that if you had if you had asked me that question when I was seven and eight years old, um, like most seven and eight year olds, I was very much in the moment. And so, if you were a gentle person with me, I would be feeling really good. Okay. As an adult, looking back on my childhood, I was not a happy child, oh. and I I was scared a lot. I worried a lot. I worried about my parents. I worried about my siblings. I I um, I, I worried about the weather. I worried about everything. And Being an empath, that's one of our downfalls. <laughs> we worry about everything because we want to fix and make everything right. better. I'm guilty of it. And and even though we, as children, children are resilient. And part of that is because they cannot sustain negative emotions for long periods of time. But what mm -hmm. happens is it gets stored in their body. Mm -hmm. And and it does have consequences. And my parents suffered physiologically. And I have several autoimmune conditions that the research now traces directly back to trauma. 
I feel that, and people say that your mind is the most powerful, powerful thing that you can possess, but that's 100% true. The other part of that is, and you just mentioned this, is our bodies are programs as well, and it remembers emotions mm -hmm. and trauma, mm -hmm. happiness, whatever, whatever the, that our body will go through, it stores it. That's where you have like, I think we've talked about this um, prior to this, is the fight or flight mm -hmm. that people will say is because the mind and the body have stored something that reminded them of something and it could be good, it could be bad. And so I always think I'm not just programming my mind, my body's being programmed by society in wherever I go and I have to be conscious about what I'm taking with me and keeping programmed because mm -hmm. it could hurt you like you just said, there's illnesses that you carry with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So back to your amazing question about what was one of the hardest yes. things. I think looking back, one of the hardest things was that that um, I had to endure some physical, emotional, and mental abuse because of being an immigrant, because of being a brown mm. child in a very white um, neighborhood and a very white school. Mm -hmm. And um, I was attacked, beaten, taunted. And at no point did I feel that I could take that to my parents. My father was very protective of me. And I, I guess as a child, having um, the situation that we had, I intuitively knew that my parents had tremendous sadness. And I always assumed that their sadness was bigger and more important than my sadness. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't share that. And I think that what happened growing up is that I became the kind of a person who had a very hard time reaching out to help, to, to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to help others, but I, I couldn't ask for help myself. And um, and that was not a good thing. No, and a lot of us actually struggle with that. I think we live in a society, oh, I'm not gonna say I think, I know. We live in a society where if someone looks like they have got their whole life put together and inside they're falling apart, but that's the only thing that they can keep themselves going is how they feel on the outside. And, mm -hmm. and they don't want anyone to know that they are hurting or they have a hard time asking for help, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. I feel that, and I'm guilty of this too with my own stuff in my life, is I know what it's like to feel abandoned. I know what it's like to not feel loved and to lose a loved one. And so for me, my way of my love language or my communication is I don't want anyone to ever feel the way that I hold that program still within me. Um, and so, yeah, I can relate to what you're saying, which I think when you said that you were a retired trauma psychologist, there's a lot that goes with that that could have triggered you as well yeah. in your childhood while you're trying to help other people heal through theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and fortunately, I was in a program where um, a very wise professor said, heal or heal thyself. And so I did go through many years of therapy with an excellent uh, psychologist and um, it was it was very very helpful 
Very nice. I wanted to touch upon something before we get into my last question because mm -hmm. in the introduction, um, you are the founder of AGE, which is Advanced Gender Equity in the Arts. Please tell me more about what that is. Yes, Advanced Gender Equity in the Arts is a foundation that I, it's a nonprofit, actually I call it a nonprofit movement that I mm -hmm. founded in um, 2014. I, uh, after being a trauma psychologist for a long time, I followed a childhood dream of mine and that was to become an actress. And, um, but I, I didn't get to, to really do that until I was in my late 50s. And by that time, I realized that um, my story really wasn't in the canon. Um, what was in the canon were stories that were centered on white men's experience. It was, mm -hmm. they were written, produced, directed, and cast uh, through the lens of the white man. Mm -hmm. And I say some of my best friends are white men, but I believe that our stories need to represent all of humanity, not half of humanity. And so I started this organization to really get professional theaters to uh, amplify the voices of women and not through a tokenized way, but really in an integrative way by having them in leadership positions, by having them be the storytellers, the directors, the producers, uh, to have them cast and design through their lens. And so that is what I did. And it's been very, very rewarding. We've only just begun. It's going to be generations to shift the paradigm, but uh, we're on our way. You know, I have to mention, because I kind of laughed knowing this part of what you just said, and that is, we do all have a story. That's why I enjoy doing what I'm doing. But I never looked at films the same way I did once I got involved this last four years in the film festival. I started out as just attending one because someone was being recognized for something. Then I became a volunteer. Then I started paying more attention to the films that I started doing the Q&As because now I was like, wait a minute. There's a, there's a reason why this was created. It's not like your action and your, your romance ones. These are actual stories of people's lives that impact others if that message is received by that person that's needing to hear it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you saying you wanted to be an actress. Yeah. Back, you know, and you said, what was the age that you wanted to become an actress or did become an actress? I was in my 50s before I okay. actually started, yes. Some of the things we didn't think we were going to do, and now we're doing them because life has given us an opportunity to right. share more about who we are and the talent we didn't even know we had. Right. So how does this organization that you have here, it says it empowers, but where is it empowering? Who is your audience that you're um, empowering? What we are doing is really focusing our resources on the most vulnerable um, communities, and, and those communities are... Uh, women of color and non-binary people um, over the age of 40. And so what we are doing is at this time we are providing um, unrestricted grants to, uh, to those women, playwrights. And uh, we're, we're starting small right now. We have three $10,000 grants that we are awarding annually. 
but we are also expanding our programming to partner with professional theaters who, who can also then give these people development opportunities. Oh, I like that. And film industry, as I know, whether it's a small film with a low budget, they all need assistance to share a big message. Yeah. And that's great that you're able to help and, and, and do that and empower someone that feels that they have a message and they have a gift and they just want that one opportunity to say, I just need some help this one time and then go from there. So that's great that you can do that. And I'd also like to, to mention that starting this year, um, our grants are, are being funded by a private foundation, DeNovo. It's a Portland-based organization, and I, I want to give them a huge shout-out because they are oh, doing remarkable work, and our partnership with them is going to just allow us to exponentially increase what we do. Wonderful. Now I have a final question that is kind of related but not related and I always look forward to this question. Not that I don't enjoy my entire interviews with all of my guests because I'm, I'm a changed person after each individual I sit down with. But if I only had one question to ask someone to come to the conclusion of who they are or an idea of who they may be, it would be this question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Well, Okay, what message would you like to leave based on your journey? Oh, that's, that's a hard one. The message I would like to leave is okay. um, it's what I learned from the airlines, and that is always apply your own oxygen mask before helping others. Mm. You know, so important and whether you are two years old three years old or 85 years old mm -hmm. love yourself make sure that you are fed and nurtured not just physically but spiritually and emotionally mm -hmm. um, before extending your heart to anyone mm. very important some people feel that if they find someone else to fix that broken heart or expand that heart will make them a better feeling or have a better feeling or be a better person. And in fact, it starts with us, like you said, put your own oxygen mask on first so that you can breathe to help someone else to show them how to breathe if they're having a hard time. I love that. Thank you. And your information has been provided underneath your name throughout this interview. Was there anything that I did not ask that you want to make sure that is out there? I'd like to uh, give a thank you to Brenda Foley, who is the one who connected me with you, and who is the producer yes. for the documentary Seaplane Yes, definitely. I love that she connected us together. And I met her through the film festival here in Chandler in January. Um, and, and then she was an extra in a film that I got to be a small little extra along with some other ladies. So it was really interesting how it all tied in. Because um, you just never know who's going to be in your path or has been there the whole time until it's time for you to actually know who they are or they know who you are. Thank you for your time today sharing your journey and your, your knowledge and your wisdom. Thank you, Christine, for all you do. Yes. Thank you. I want to say thank you to my studio sponsor once again, the Motivated Mind Group, your creative agency located here in downtown Chandler. And today's episode sponsor is 
Arizona Mobile Notary Signing Agents. Life moves fast. You never know if you might have to be in a position to buy, sell, refi, adopt, need a power of attorney, living will, or a trust, and they'll travel to you. They're prompt, organized, and on the move. Thank you again. If you have a story you want to share, know someone who has a story, or you're a nonprofit organization making a difference in the community, please email me to the address of stories at christinehotchkiss.com. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well, and you take care. <laughs>